We have the wonderful Joe preaching this morning. Give him a great welcome. Yeah, Lord, we just want to thank you for what you've laid on Joe's heart. God, I just pray that you will just settle him, help him to concentrate, Lord. But God, I just pray for your anointing upon him, Lord, that the words he speak will be those that you want us to hear. And Father, I just pray for each of us that you will give us ears to hear. God, I just pray each one will hear that message directly into their heart that you have for them this morning. We thank you, Lord, for the privilege of being able to come and worship together. There is such power in that. But God, we thank you for those in our congregation who diligently study your word and prepare messages for us week in, week out, so we can learn and grow deeper in the truths of your word. And I thank you for all the preparation Joe has put in this week. God, just be with him. Amen. Amen. Morning, church. Thank you, Claire. When I was uh, about 13 years old, I got caught shoplifting. Yeah, don't worry, I'm a, I'm a reformed man now. Um, I, uh, I made the mistake of uh, getting too cocky, getting caught. I got caught because I was cocky. Um, and uh, I got halfway down the high street and I felt a tap on my shoulder and the, the man uh, who was running the shop said, could you please come back inside the shop, please, sir? And I was, I was cocky enough to think I could steal something, but not kind of self-confident enough to run at that point or do something clever. So I just turned around and walked back and knew what my fate was. They took me through the shop to, the back, to one of the back rooms um, while they uh, looked uh, displeasing at me uh, and called the police. The police came, picked me up, um, me and my friend, um, took us home. Um, and all the way, you can imagine how I felt in, that, in the back of that police car on the way home. Um, I wasn't really worried about what the police thought, but it was the look on my face, on my mum's face. Uh, I will never forget the, the look of utter shame uh, and horror of what her child had done. Um, and yes, uh, uh, that, was, that was what I did at 13, and it shook me up and it changed me. But uh, I had been um, stealing small things for quite a while before then. Um, I don't think it's particularly too uncommon for little boys to, sw- to steal sweets. Um, had a sweet tooth. I'd, I used to steal um, little packs of sweets from the newsagents, would stuff them up my jumper or shove them in my pocket and walk out. And uh, even at that age, about the age of 10 or 11, I knew that the art of getting away with it... Sorry, <laughs> I had no idea there were going to be young children here today. This is... Look at my life and don't... And, and praise God. Um, I knew that the way to get away with it was to, um, to, to hold your composure, to blend in and not draw attention to yourself. And um, I think we all face the temptation with our faith to treat, to treat our faith like that, to, to kind of hide it and stuff it down, um, to make it as though there's no real impact on our lives um, and that there would be no difference in how we walk and, and live out our lives day to day. I've been a Christian for been a Christian since I was 18, so um, I've been a Christian for about 14 years now. And I notice that in my heart, I've learned how to behave in a Christian context in church culture. I know the things that you don't do. I know how to carry myself. I know the words to say uh, and the words to avoid, so that I can get by basically just by moderating my behaviour in that way, just to a, a small degree, and I can. 
I can exist in a, in a Christian uh, I can exist in a Christian context. But what I want us to see this morning is that one of the biggest threats to your faith is the subtle belief that you can absorb Jesus into your life without it making any real difference, without there being any real need for sacrifice. Because com- becoming a Christian and following Jesus will make a difference to the way that you live. There is a cost to being a Christian. This is what we call the cost of discipleship. So God's grace, we know God's grace is totally free. It's completely unmerited, undeserved. We did nothing for it. And yet, there is a cost, isn't there? And that's the paradox of being a Christian. And so Jesus demands total and unwavering commitment from us. And that's what uh, dynamic discipleship is. It's a daily decision to count the cost of following Jesus. Jesus demands total commitment from us. You can't be half in and half out. You cannot try before you buy. You can't be a Christian one day and not the next. You can't be a Christian with some people and not with others. You can't give him half of your life and keep the rest for yourself. Jesus wants all of you, every single corner. Uh, A Christian writer called Sam Albury says that if someone thinks the gospel has somehow slotted into their life quite easily without causing any major adjustments to their lifestyle or aspiration, it is likely that they have not really started following Jesus at all. So what we're going to look at today in Luke chapter 9 is that there are three key areas that Jesus wants us to look at when it comes to being a disciple. So if you'd like to turn to Luke 9 in your Bibles, and we're going to read from verse 57. And Jesus, well, Luke shows us three interactions between uh, an ordinary person and Jesus, and what it means to be a disciple, what it means to follow him. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. But you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. And Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Each person in this situation uh, represents a different area of life that Jesus will challenge. The first man shows us that following Jesus will challenge your comfort The man makes a pretty big claim, doesn't he? Doesn't realize exactly what he's saying. I will follow you, Jesus, wherever you go. So what does Jesus do? Well, he realizes what's going on and actually challenges his commitment. Really? You'll follow me wherever I will go? Because I literally have no... I don't know where I'm sleeping tonight. I literally have no place to lay my head. Animals will have it better than me. Are you going to follow me there? Can you go as low as I will go? 
Can you live as though this world is not your home? Are you willing to recognize that you won't have true rest until you reach heaven? Following Jesus will challenge our greatest comforts. And so is he saying that in order to be a Christian, you need to sell your possessions and sell your house? No. He's not saying that everybody needs to do that, although some will be called to a life of great sacrifice. So what is he saying? He says that following him will challenge your comfort at every level. It will challenge your finances. It will challenge your standard of living, the size of your house, the type of car you drive, the meals you eat, the holidays you take, the sleep you get, the clothes on your back, the company you keep and the places you go. Following Jesus will challenge your greatest comforts. The second man shows us that following Jesus will challenge your allegiances. Jesus calls a man and the man says, yes, but first. Now, burying your parents is an important duty and we should honor our parents and Jesus knew that. It's one of the Ten Commandments. We should honor our mother and father. So it feels, that seems like a reasonable request, doesn't it, at first? But Jesus is known for saying difficult things and just letting it hang in the air. Let the dead bury their dead. See, this person chose not to obey Jesus immediately, but chose to make an excuse. Because the burial process in Judaism at this time of year was a year-long process. So it wasn't just a week or something like that. He's saying, look, Lord, I'll follow you, but you need to give me a year. Is Jesus asking you to do something now that you want to put off? Maybe you're here this morning and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, but you know at some point you feel like you should. Jesus wants you to make him your first priority today. Now, is Jesus saying we need to neglect our families in order to become Christians? No, he's not saying that. Although some will be called to leave their families for the sake of the gospel, some will go to far places and may never see their families again, in, uh, as living a life as a missionary in another culture. In some cultures around the world, becoming a Christian is basically the same as rejecting your family in some ways. And for you, becoming a Christian, maybe it meant that you needed to reorder some loyalties in your family to put Jesus as your ultimate loyalty. We should care for our family, absolutely, out of obedience to Jesus and never in spite of it. And in this example, Jesus was clearly not his highest commitment. And families have an important role to play, don't they? We know that. We love families at River Church. Um, they're an important part of church culture, church life. They're an important part of the kingdom. They're an important part of the fabric of society. Families are important, but they're not everything. That's the place that Jesus wants to hold in our lives. And he says for, uh, later in the book of Luke, Luke 14, unless you hate your mother and father, you cannot be my disciple. And again, Jesus knows we should honor our mother and father. He knows that those are good things. And this is hard. But sometimes we may be called to live in certain ways to make certain decisions that it might be mistaken for looking as though we hate our families or we've rejected them. And this should also be the case with our immediate families. 
even with our spouses and our children. Jesus should take priority over every single person in our lives. And this is a hard lesson. But following Jesus will challenge your greatest allegiances. The third man shows us that following Jesus will challenge your priorities. So another said, I will follow you, Lord. I'm going to. But first, let me go back and say goodbye to my family. So we're beginning to see the pattern, aren't we now? People want to commit, but there's something in the way for them. And this is a half-hearted commitment. And Jesus calls it out. He knows what it is. He says it for what it is. No one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Now, in traditional agriculture, traditional farming, when you're plowing, you have to look forwards. If you look behind you, you go off course. Thanks, Nathan. So Jesus is saying... I don't want you to have one eye on me and one eye on what you left behind. I want you to recognize eternal life when you see it. I want 100% devotion from you. I want to be your first priority. Like a lion stalking its prey. It's got laser focus on that gazelle. Pandemonium going on around him, but he's got that one target and he's not going to take his eyes off that prize. It means recognizing that everything else in life is a sideshow compared to Jesus. Jesus doesn't want us to be like the Israelites who were rescued from slavery in Egypt. Uh, They'd seen God do amazing miracles in their midst, um, delivered them from uh, awful conditions. But then a few weeks into the wilderness, they're already comparing this to the life that they had before. So following Jesus will challenge your greatest priorities, your greatest allegiances, and your greatest comfort. Because Jesus demands total devotion. And we can try. We all know that we try because we want Jesus and the world. We want Jesus, but also to maintain an element of control on our lives. But it's like a beach ball. What does everyone do when they go to the seaside with a beach ball and you go into the sea. What do we all do? You sit on it. Everyone does it. You try and stuff it down and then eventually you lose balance and it pops back up. And you do it again. You sit on it, you stuff it down and a wave comes and eventually it pops back up. Jesus is like that beach ball in your life. Okay? Jesus will constantly pop up and say, here I am. Have you submitted that area of your life to me? Jesus will confront every area of your life. And it begs the question, doesn't it? Is it worth it? This is a lot, this is hard, isn't it? There's three difficult things to hear. Is following Jesus worth it? It's going to make you uncomfortable at times, it's going to change some of the dynamics of your relationships. It's going to make you do stuff you don't feel like doing. And I think that's a good question. It's a good question to ask of yourself. Jesus, are you worth it? Are you worth following? And Jesus wants us to count the cost every day. He wants us to look at it and confront it. This is what it costs me to follow you, Lord. 
Because Jesus answers that question, is it worth it, earlier in chapter 9 of uh, Luke. From verse 23, you just flick back a bit. He says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves. So foregoing rights, laying down personal freedoms. And take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. So whoever wants to save, preserve, protect or cling on to their life, their reputation, their material wealth, their feeling of self-reliance, their feeling of self-importance, will lose it. If you want to... If you want to cling on to those things, you will lose life. It will show that you are not truly following Christ. But whoever loses, gives away, disregards or abandons their life, for me, will save it. So if you give away your reputation, if you abandon your material wealth, if you disregard any, any thoughts or feelings of self-reliance, you will save it. See, Jesus is saying you get Jesus. You give away those things and in return, you receive him and life because he is the source of life. And it's not that you're missing out because that's the feeling, isn't it? When you know you're called to give up something or something feels like a sacrifice, what's that first instinct? Oh, I'm missing out here. This is going to cause me to miss out. But Jesus is saying, you do these things, you will inherit things of eternal value in your life. It's like Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Remember that amazing scene at the end? Um, Indiana and Donovan, his adversary, they're both in the chamber. They've, they've got to the night. They've gone past the booby traps. Uh, and they've got to the chamber. And they're both looking for the Holy Grail. They're both searching for the Holy Grail. Now, Indiana, he's looking to save his dad. Remember, his dad got shot by Donovan. But Donovan, the other character, the wealthy businessman who's been colluding with the Nazis, helping them to find the Holy Grail, he wants glory. He's after glory. So you've got two people in this dramatic scene, the climax of the film. They're searching for the same thing. They're both searching for the Holy Grail, but they're approaching it with different ambitions. Indiana... He's looking for life. He wants to save his dad. Donovan wants personal glory and his own fame. But there's a final test. Can they identify the true holy grail amongst a series of fakes? So what do they choose? Well, Donovan goes first. He looks for the one that has... So Donovan chooses the one in the foreground with the, with the rubies on, Right? He, he looks at the one with the most uh, outward-looking beauty and splendor. It looks and feels valuable. And he says, it's more beautiful than I'd ever imagined. It certainly is the cup of the king of kings. So in his mind, he's decided that that is the route to eternal life. He drinks it, and we all know what happens. 
Instead of giving him eternal life, it accelerates his death and he turns into a skeleton right there in front of him and crumbles. Indiana, who's just witnessed this, now it's his turn. The stakes are high. What will Indiana choose? Well, he picks the goblet that is just behind that one. Small, it looks a little bit, it's not shiny, is it? From the outwards, outward appearance, it looks humble, innocuous. Looked over, maybe. He says, this is the cup of a carpenter. He drinks it, and he doesn't die. So he takes it out to his dad, gives it to his dad, saves his life. Indiana is the hero. This is what the kingdom of God is like. This is what it means to follow Jesus. If you're occupied by your own interests and your own priorities, you will miss Jesus, and therefore you will miss life. Donovan was looking for personal gain, and he makes a choice that leads to death. Indiana, he was acting with selfless motives, and he makes a choice that leads to life. So to follow Jesus means to die to your own personal ambitions and your your own personal gain and choose humility. So if your posture is to preserve your life, you will end up losing it. That's the irony of the gospel. You should feel some sense of eternal struggle, internal, sorry, internal struggle going on inside you. You should feel a sense of resistance, a pull away from Jesus sometimes. And I think the thrust of what Jesus is saying in Luke 9 is that we won't and we can't. We won't always follow him wherever he will go. We won't always choose him over our own comfort. We won't always prioritize him over everything else. And if you've been a Christian for long enough, you know this already. And he knows this. He knows the thoughts and intentions of every man. And even his disciples abandoned him. The guys who spent three years with him, even they abandoned him. So there's this internal struggle going on, isn't there? We've got the, we know that Jesus demands everything and he's worth everything in our lives. And yet we feel ourselves wandering from time to time. And it's good that you feel that. It means you're awake. It means that you recognize that there is sin dwelling in you that seeks to pull you away from Jesus. And that goes back to the fall in Genesis 3. Adam and Eve wanted to be the, the kings of their own kingdom and so therefore challenged God's sovereignty and authority over their lives. But admitting that you can't follow him in all the places he calls you to follow him is the first step to real changing and lasting freedom. Because what do you do when you recognize you can't? Where do you go? Well, you acknowledge the rescuing work of Jesus in your life. Jesus is the one who did obey to the point of death on a cross. Jesus is the one who drank the cup of wrath that we deserved for our indifference. And knowing this changes your perspective. Now, there are some Christians who, at the point of making that commitment, they know at the time that they're making it 
a commitment that will cause them to, to reflect and, and it may even cost them their lives. But for many of us, I get the feeling that we didn't realize the cost of being a disciple until well after making that commitment to follow Jesus. But knowing these things changes our perspective because not only are you following the one who demands it all from you, you're following the one who did it all for you. Not only are you following the one who demands total devotion, you're also following the one who did that for you in your place. When Jesus went to the cross, it was in your place. When Jesus lived a perfect life, he was the perfect sacrifice to God to appease him. Jesus lived that perfect life, and now that's counted to you as righteousness. And so who you're following matters, doesn't it? You don't just follow anyone, and you wouldn't just follow anyone into battle. You follow someone who you know would die for you, and that's Jesus. You're following the one who did abandon his comfort, abandoned the comfort of heaven, sat on the throne. Pretty good for him up there. He abandoned that and came down and got involved in our mess. He abandoned his comfort. You're following the one who did keep his allegiances. Despite betrayal all around him, he kept his allegiances to us, to you, to me, to his disciples. You're following the one who prioritizes God's kingdom and your welfare above his own well-being. You're following the one who bestows grace upon grace. Jesus takes our half-hearted worship of him and gives us his total commitment in return. He takes our half-hearted devotion and gives us total commitment in return. And this, friends, this is the wonder of the gospel. Listen to this. Jesus is more precious than anything. He's more valuable than anything in the universe. And yet he gives himself to you freely. So being a Christian means giving up everything and walking home with more. It means giving up everything you're entitled to and somehow walking home with more. It's like the one time you part exchange your run-down banger of a car and you drive home with a supercar. It's like depositing a £10 note into your bank and looking in your account and there's a million pounds in there. You bring your rags and you leave clothed with righteousness. You bring nothing and yet you gain everything. We're going to move into a time of taking communion now. And as we sit and reflect, I want to encourage you to look at the cost and to reflect. It's good to confront and look at what it means to follow Jesus in your life. And it means something different for every single person here. Find a way to connect it to the purpose that Jesus has for you and how it points your eyes back to him. And Christian, you are free today to admit your weakness in following him and look instead not to yourself, but to the rescuing work of Jesus Christ. Let's pray.
Lord, we want to be like David, who said that you are our portion, Lord. You are enough for us. We want to be like Paul, who says that you're enough for us. We want to follow you in these places, but Lord, we know, we feel we can't. Lord, we've tried. We've gone back to the start, committed ourselves again, tried following you, and reached a dead end or stumbled. And Lord, we're tired of going backwards and forwards and following that same pattern of failure, mistakes. Lord, we want freedom from this. And so, Lord, when we look at the cost of following you, Lord, we want to look at Jesus. We want to look at what we gain as well at the same time. Lord, we will compare. There is nothing uh, to compare. When we look at our trials that are temporary and passing away, they are nothing compared to the eternal glory with Jesus Christ. And that starts today for us. We can live in freedom in that today. And so, Lord, as we take communion, help us to reflect deeply on what it means to be your disciple. And help us to walk in the freedom of your grace, which truly changes us. In Jesus' name, amen.